Amen. God bless you. You may be seated, at least for a moment. Today we're going into the book of Daniel. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 7 as we continue our series seeing Jesus, portraits of Christ in the Old Testament. And we've talked a lot about Jesus through pictures, through poetry, and now we're going to see him through prophecy. This is a difficult chapter in the Bible, and we've got about 30 minutes to get through this today, so let's all be ready in our spirits and in our minds to hear the Lord today. So will you turn to Daniel chapter 7? Today I'm going to read verse 9 to 15. Today's sermon is titled, Your Kingdom Come. And when you find that in your Bible, would you stand with me? And I'll read this for all of us here today. Your kingdom come. Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Amen. You may be seated. Today I thought it would be appropriate to simply continue the timeline of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because in the last several weeks, we've talked about Psalm 22, 23, and 24. And we've seen the revelation of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who rose from the dead, the one who lives to guide us. Our life is his life. And he leads us and guides us through this world. And one day soon, we will meet him in the clouds and he is going to take us home to be with him. And we will be surrounding him at his throne, casting our crowns before him and worshiping him. So the question is, what's next? What happens after that? What happens after that is the next event that will change the course of all human history. We call it the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus himself 
will descend from heaven and come to this earth and set up an everlasting kingdom. And we, His people, shall rule and reign with Him. In Matthew chapter 26, we have the story of Jesus being brought before the high priest, Caiaphas. And they already tried him. They tried to find him guilty of anything, and they could not. All they wanted to do was crucify him and get rid of him. And so the high priest says to him, will you just tell us plainly, are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ? And Jesus Knowing all that was before him. He knew the cross was only a few short hours away. He knew he would be tor tormented with beatings. That he would die on a cross. That he would be buried. But he saw beyond that. He saw beyond his ascension into heaven to sit on the throne. He looks even beyond when he's going to rapture his church into heaven. He looks beyond all of that. In response to Caiaphas, he says boldly, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus looks well beyond the cross, well down the road, 2,000 years at least into the future, and he says to the high priest, not only am I the Son of God, but this man yet you see right now, I'm coming back again. You shall see the second coming of my glory into this world. And that brings us to what we just read from Daniel. The book of Daniel is not a long book. It only has 12 chapters. But it is packed with incredible detailed visions and dreams of things that are yet to come. And Daniel chapter 7 is one such dream. In this dream, Daniel saw the rise of four world kingdoms represented by beasts. Daniel didn't see every single kingdom that would ever rise. He only saw the kingdoms in the context of Israel. And in the context of the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And each kingdom Daniel saw grew in power, in territory, more than the previous kingdom. Until we come to the fourth, final world kingdom. This kingdom is greater in power, territory, and in violence more than any other kingdom we've ever seen. In fact, this final kingdom is like all previous kingdoms wrapped up into one. Until, Daniel tells us, it too shall be destroyed. It will be destroyed by a kingdom that's not of this world, but a kingdom that comes from heaven. And so, just quickly, in the beginning of chapter 7, Daniel saw four beasts that represented these four kingdoms. The first beast was the kingdom of Babylon. In the 7th century BC, Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, they conquered Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, burned down the temple, and took many Israelites into captivity. 
among those captives was Daniel. He was in Babylon when he wrote this book. The second beast was the kingdom of Media Persia. In the 6th century BC, the Media Persian Empire conquered Babylon. Eventually, the king of Persia, King Cyrus, he was the one that commanded that the Jews be released out of Babylon, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. The third beast was the kingdom of Greece. In the 4th century BC, Greece conquered the Media Persian Empire. The Greek king, Antiochus Epiphanes, invaded Jerusalem, slaughtered thousands of Jews in that city, and then demanded that all people worship him. And then the fourth beast was the kingdom of Rome. In the first century BC, Rome became the new world power. It was the kingdom of the Caesars. In fact, Jesus lived in the days of the Roman Empire when they were in charge of even Israel. It was under the Roman government that Jesus was crucified. Now, 500 years later, Rome lost all of its rule and power. But in Daniel's prophetic vision, he saw a revival of the Roman Empire, the Roman Kingdom. And according to Daniel, this future Roman kingdom, it will be a union of ten nations of the earth. And it was represented by ten horns on the beast that he saw. And then Daniel saw among those ten horns, he saw a little horn growing among them. And that little horn is the man of sin, the prideful the boastful, the evil one whom the Bible calls the Antichrist. And he will rule in that last day's kingdom, which is already being formed today. After Daniel saw the rise and fall of world kingdoms, he was given a vision that he would never forget. Today, I hope we will never forget it's a vision of God's sovereign rule and ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. And so through the verses that we have just read today, the Holy Spirit gives us a glimpse into the future. And today we're going to see with Daniel, number one, the throne. Number two, the horn. And number three, the sun. Amen. You ready? Let's begin. Number one, the throne. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. No matter the kingdom, no matter the throne, no matter of world power, there is a throne above all thrones, and it is the throne that is in heaven. And that throne will never change. And neither will the one who sits upon that throne. He's the one that says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am. He will never change, and neither will his authority over all the world. He is called 
according to Daniel, the Ancient of Days. He is God the Father. He has no beginning and no end. He is God before the beginning of time. So shall He be God into eternity. The vision of His pure white garments and His white hair symbolizes His eternity, His holiness, His sovereignty. His throne is a holy flame and fire dances around Him and it flows like a river from before Him. It's a reminder that our God is a consuming fire and every president and every king and every queen and prime minister would be wise to fear and to tremble before him. Even the mighty angels of heaven, Daniel says, a thousand thousands worship him. 10,000 times 10,000 stand in awe all around the throne of God. And they hang upon every word that he speaks. And they rush to do all that he wills. The prophet Isaiah also spoke of these angels singing and crying out with a loud voice. They sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah, Isaiah says that their shouts thundered and shook even the doorposts of heaven. This vision was a reminder to Daniel and it is a reminder to all the world God is in control. Do you hear me? No matter what you see, no matter what you hear, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in today, God is in control. Amen. Some have asked the question, it's a common question, if God is in control, then why do bad things happen? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. It's a good question, but I don't look at it like that. I don't look at it in that way. Instead, I see a God sitting on the throne. I see a God who restrains the evils of men. I see a God who, who restrains the horrible consequences of sin in the world. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would have destroyed ourselves long ago in the wars that this world has faced. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would have died a long time ago, all of us, by disease and pestilence. If it wasn't for the grace of God, this whole earth would still be covered with flood waters of judgment. I see a God who often intervenes with power and mercy, love and compassion. He often intervenes in this sin-filled world. And it's God who carries us, all of us along from one generation to the next. And God is also moving in our individual lives. I believe that God has saved us, healed us, 
He's opened doors for us time and again. And we never even knew that it was him that did it. No, we, we thanked our doctor. We thanked our boss. We thanked our pastor. Or we thanked our family members. When all the while, it was the Ancient of Days who provided for us out of his abundant grace in our lives. You might say, as a Christian, if God is in control, then why do I suffer? How about that one? I know it sounds like a cliche to say that God has plans in your suffering, but it is the absolute truth. And we have his word behind it. He promises us in all the suffering that we may go through, even as his children, he promises that with his restraining hand, he will never allow us to face overwhelming trials in life. He prepares us for all that we face. And if we will just remember that our God is on the throne and that he is in charge, then we will learn to trust in him for his grace and for his loving kindness. God said to Job, Job, when I made the oceans and those floodwaters came to the shores, I spoke to those waters and I said, this far you may come and no farther. And the waters obeyed God. Well, it's the same God who speaks into our turbulent waters of suffering. And he says to them, this far you may come, and no farther. It's God who sets the limits to your suffering so that you may endure in your trust in Jesus Christ. God will always make a way for you. You are not lost in the dark. He will not let the floodwaters overwhelm you and destroy you. He makes a way of escape if you'll only trust in his ways. God is in control. And he sits upon the throne. And Daniel describes him as the judge. Daniel then says that the court was seated and the books were open. Everything we have ever done has been written in the books. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds. It's not as though God has to write them down because he might forget. He never forgets. He never loses anything. He never overlooks anything. They are written down as witness to the evidence that man has sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God and judgment is coming. Now if Daniel were a prophet, he would add that word selah right now. Remember that word? It means to think about what was just said. And so I say to you, think about that. Are your sins cleansed? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? God says, I will blot out your sin. I will erase the pages of the book that are in your name. I will blot them out and I will never remember them again. Come, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
They shall be white as snow. Are you washed in the blood of Jesus? Are you ready to meet our Maker, our God, our Judge? It's happening soon. Number two, we see the horn, or as Daniel calls him earlier in the chapter, the little horn. The horn. Daniel chapter 7, verse 11. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, arrogant, blasphemous, which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. In the vision, this horn that speaks is none other than the man that is called Antichrist. He is the one who will rule the revived kingdom of Rome. Antichrist. It doesn't just mean that he is against Christ. It also means that he is instead of Christ. In other words, the world will believe he is their savior. And the world will bow down before him and worship him as God. Now our verses today, they don't include the many prophecies from the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning this man, Antichrist. For example, the Antichrist will arrive on the scene as a peacemaker, but in a short three and a half years, he will become an absolute murderous monster. His kingdom will smash all other governments and nations of the earth. And he will come promising the dawning of a new world order. And eventually he will demand the worship of the world. And all people, great and small, must pledge their allegiance to him and receive the mark of his name upon their heads or upon their hands. And anyone in that time who refuses, they will be deemed a rebel, unfit for the new world, someone who stands in the way, and they must be terminated. And during that time that the Bible calls the tribulation, there will be more death and bloodshed more than any other time in the history of the world. And the monster who was called Antichrist will make all other dictators in the history of the world look like children. We didn't read of these things in our text, but we do read that Daniel was shocked to hear the words this horn spoke against the ancient of days. He symbolized as a little horn. It means he's not very powerful, but he knows how to speak. He knows how to be cunning, and he will fool the masses on earth. This little man speaks so arrogantly against God and the hosts of heaven Yet the world will listen to him and they will follow the words that he speaks without any questions being asked. 
And we may well ask, how can all of that happen? How can something like that actually take place? How can one man rule the world in such a way? Well, I tell you, all it takes is a crisis. All it takes is a crisis and one man promising to bring healing and restoration and wealth and prosperity once again. A perfect example is Germany. After World War II, Germany, and I guess rightfully so, they were treated as the enemy number one of World War II, of World War I. And so they were slapped with the harshest punishment of all. They were thrown immediately into such a massive debt, a debt that would take 90 years to pay. They were in debt. Their economy collapsed. No jobs. In World War I, 5 million soldiers died, which was 15% of the population of Germany. No medicines were being produced. People were starving, going hungry. They lost their homes. They were in the streets. And they were in a crisis. We talk about today, and we may complain today, that the rupiah, the Indonesian rupiah, it takes almost 15,000 rupiah to equal one U.S. dollar, right? But in this day in Germany, their currency, which is called the mark, it took four trillion marks to equal one U.S. dollar. And in their crisis, a little man, literally, a little man, rose up. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't political. He had no real great experience to show that he was a great leader. He just knew how to speak. He spoke with such beautiful words and such beautiful, you know, oratory speeches. He was passionate, and he promised to bring Germany back to its shining days of glory once again. And it's exactly what the people wanted. And they wanted to reach out and take the hand of anyone who would bring back life once again. And after time, they didn't care about what he said. It was just how he said it. And because of that, nobody questioned him when he said, our biggest problem is the Jews. And he slaughtered six million of them. Nobody asked when he wanted to expand the empire outside of Germany, which led to six million German soldiers dying and over eight million German civilians dying. Nobody questioned him. And at the end of World War II, 85 million people died. How did all that begin? Because a nation was in crisis and somebody who knew how to talk promised them glory once again. What will be the crisis for the Antichrist to arise? That crisis will be the sudden rapture of the church of Jesus Christ, and it will be the wrath of God that will begin to fall upon the entire face of the world. And in that global crisis the people will look toward government for salvation. 
and one little man will rise up and give that promise, and the whole world will follow. Daniel says that that kingdom of Antichrist, just as sure as it will rise, it shall fall. It shall fall when the everlasting kingdom comes out of heaven to this earth. And next, last, number three, Daniel sees the sun. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now Daniel saw all the wonders of the throne of heaven above. And he saw all the horrors of the Antichrist, that little horn, the full manifestation of satanic power and violence below on the earth. But what he sees now must have thrilled his soul. There is a glorious one in the midst of Someone who rides upon the clouds of heaven. One who stands equal to the Ancient of Days. One who is given all dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. And with great adoration, the angels of heaven usher him to the Father's throne. But most startling of all, Daniel says, he's a man. He's a man. It's a man in heaven. A man who's given glory, dominion, and an everlasting kingdom. It's a human that's in heaven. Yes, he's divine. He's worshipped. He's celebrated by all the host of angels. But this one is different from all other heavenly beings. Daniel says he's human, like me. He's a man of flesh, like me. During the Lord's life here on the earth, he referred to himself often as the Son of God. And by this title, he claimed to be divine, equal to God the Father. But the title he used of himself more than any other title in Scripture was the Son of Man. Now, he didn't only use this title to simply show his humanity. That was obvious. His purpose in using Son of Man was to claim he is the one Daniel saw and spoke of in his vision. He is the God-man the beloved of heaven, the one who is coming with the clouds of heaven to overthrow Satan and his Antichrist and to destroy their kingdom and to set up his everlasting kingdom. Not a kingdom of this world, but the very kingdom of heaven come down to this world. Jesus looked into the eyes of that high priest and he said, you will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus said to him, 
the second coming. It will happen. And it is Jesus who will come through the clouds once again into this world. And John also tells us of that day which is to come. And let me show you what John says. He says in chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 11 to 16, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, that's you and me, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My friends, this is our King. This is our God. This is the victory. This is Jesus. Amen.